We are here discussing Herzog, the novel by Saul Bellow. We are discussing the second part, which I believe is chapters four through chapter five, and perhaps chapter six. Chapters aren't numbered, that's why I'm just guessing right now, but covered the middle <laughs> section, um, which in my text was about pages 100 to about page 200. Now, uh, as always, we are going to start with impressions of the book so far. I, um, so after completing the second section, I've kind of fallen out of love with this book. Oh no. Uh, yeah, so, I don't know if you recall, but, like, I personally found like the first part like super compelling and super interesting, and now with the second part, it's a lot of the same, and it has just kind of lost its luster. I think there are a lot of really entertaining and interesting anecdotes thrown in there, but I found that it also got lost in a lot of its intellectualism, and I just had a hard time staying interested. Uh, I want to hear what Josh has to say about all this. I, uh, I'm still enjoying it. Um, I do think there are some parts that are a little dry. Um, but I think there's, uh, a lot to, to read into. And I think that keeps it interesting for me. And there's also a lot of funny sex jokes. That Shakespeare one? Come on, guys. <laughs> And I should say, I'm still enjoying it. I'm just not as, I don't know, excited or sure. engaged as I was when I started. Uh, what do you think, Austin? Uh, I'm kind of of the same vein as Bill. At the beginning of the text, I was like kind of enthralled at the, the way the story was flowing and the perspective changes and all that stuff. Um, but as we got into the second section, I did find myself drifting off as I was reading. Um, and a lot of it, I think, did have to do with some of the intellectualism, some of these <clears throat> words and conce concept pairings that I was just like, man, I, I, I see what he's trying to do, but I just cannot grasp it myself, uh, which I think kind of detracted from the story. And then we would jump back into, like, what's actually happening and i'd be like wait a minute where where are we now because it's like time has passed between one thought and the next but like <clears throat> I, I can't remember where we left and where we started again so uh yeah ben i am kind of in the same boat as Ben on austin i find this book the most interesting when it's mostly focused on herzog his ex and Ramona, I find like that core very fascinating. But like when he goes off into his letters, that's when I lose interest. Um, and uh, I, I just feel like this book's trying to do a lot, like him as a person, you know, his religion, like how he thinks he was like rescuing his ex-wife and now like he's being rescued by Ramona as is like reference to in this last section. I don't, I just feel like it piles on too much and I find it most interesting when it kind of breaks it down to him, his ex and Ramona and like how those two relationships work for him. 
Eric, what do you think? Am I okay taking the floor? Yeah. I agree with Bill and Austin and everyone else. I do think, like, when he's writing Eisenhower, it's very hard to understand. I guess my first question uh, to what everything, or to what's been said, is do you think it's because, um, do you think this novel would be more interested if you were alive during the time period of which it was written? Do you think it's just not aged well? And perhaps if we were alive during uh, the wars, we would have a different relationship with the text. So I want to I want to jump in here real quick. I do think that had I, if I had more time to really dig into every paragraph and every line, um, and really unpack everything that he's saying and make all those mm-hmm. connections, I do think that the richness of the text would be much more prevalent. Um, but because, you know, I, I, we only have so much time to uh, read it, you know, some of it I'm just reading for context. I'm not reading for uh, really understanding, and it's not it's not because I don't want to. It's just that it's so full. It's so heavy. It's pretty dense. Yeah. It's really dense. <clears throat> There's so and... many adjectives. <laughs> And I think to like further complicate things, uh, there's a lot of foreign language mm-hmm. used, like there his relationship with Sono Iguki. Like there was a lot of French spoken, and I don't know if anyone took the time to like translate it or if the paperback has the translation in it. But as I was no. listening to the audiobook, it's just like, okay, well, there's like lots of dialogue I just don't care about. <laughs> and the hard part is all of those dialogues seemed really pertinent to the situation and the conversation. And to answer your question, Eric, I don't think uh, I, my appreciation of the book is impacted by like the time. I don't know how much more I would have been able to appreciate it had I been like reading it when it was first published. I think I would be able to appreciate it more a decade down the line when I'm going through my midlife crisis. Right. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that is a good point. I just, you know, he talks about Eisenhower a lot and talks about how he goes trout fishing, and I, it's just lost on me. <laughs> yeah, but he's also talking a lot about, like, Hegel and uh, de Tocqueville and all these, like, sociologists and yeah. psychologists and philosophers, and it's stuff that I'm like, Man, I've heard that name a thousand times, but I couldn't tell you what different differentiates Hegel from like, you know, I don't know one of the other big names that he drops, like Thomas Hobbes and, and, or yeah, I guess yeah, because there's that part where he has this philosophical musing where there's less less private crimes but more public crimes committed in society or something like that and i just feel like if i was schooled in philosophy that turn of phrase from i think it was the tocqueville would have been appreciated but i don't know i i don't care <laughs> it doesn't uh, is that bad i don't know like who in this chat like is interested in reading a philosophical or a book of philosophy and At I one think, point in time I was, but not now. <laughs> I think there'd be I, I just, like another layer. Go ahead. I think it would add another layer if we were aware and like well-read of 
like his own philosophy or like romanticism in Christianity. If we were learned men, we might be able to dig a little deeper or conversely, like, I don't know how much research Saul Bellow did. It could all just be bullshit. Yeah. So but I don't think any enjoyment is lost, at least on me, not being learned and schooled in philosophy. I mean, I don't think that's the like because Herzog is supposed to be an intellectual. So, you know, it it makes sense for his character to constantly be referencing this stuff. But I think as mm -hmm. the audience, we don't need to really understand what he's yeah. saying. Sure. I think it just adds a layer of, I agree with Josh thinking that we don't need to really understand, but it's just like a nuance that's lost on us. Like certain things that could be pulled from that section that we just aren't able to grasp. But then again, I don't know how much, like Bill said, Bello knows about it. Like how deep he went into researching it before he like wrote this book. So, but I feel Josh, like there is a lot of nuances, at least lost on me. So Josh, kind of like what, what you're saying then is like, it's not so much the content of what he's saying or what, what's being presented, but more so the fact that he is so entrenched in all of these philosophies and I think, trying to make sense of them all. I think there's one i think major theme that we're supposed to get from everything he talks about philosophy like so the book that he's writing romanticism and christianity um all i did was i googled the definition of romanticism um and i think from doing that i understand why he's writing the book and what that means for the story without knowing anything about romanticism other than the definition that's what i mean is that you don't it a, a deep understanding is not required, I think. Sure. Can you feed that definition to us real quick? It is a movement <laughs> in the arts and literature uh, that originated in the late 18th century, emphasizing inspiration, subjectivity, and the primacy of the individual. Okay. So I kind of just think of it as a, like a synonym for individualism. That's how I've been thinking of it. Okay. Um... I think that definitely helps because, like, no other person, like, on the broader spectrum would be able to pull in all these references. Like, this is a very personal text. Right. Because I think Bello would not set out to write a novel that could only be understood by people like philosophy yeah, professors. Sure. So, would you guys agree that, like, so far, this is like Herzog trying to figure like himself out. Uh, like I agree with Josh that he's like clearly just lost. He doesn't really know who he is or like what he stands for. Not really what he stands for, but like just lost purpose. So I, I, and he's trying to answer that question. I think that's that's definitely right, and I think like what I said in the chat. Um, the letter that he writes to Eisenhower, I think that frames the whole novel because he just talks about, um, I'm gonna read something from it. Uh, Austin, it's on 203 for us. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> I wish we had the same pages. So special. Uh, but he says, uh, 
But the problem, as I see it, is not one of definition, but of the total reconsideration of human qualities, or perhaps even the discovery of qualities. I am certain that there are human qualities still to be discovered. Such discovery is only hampered by definitions which hold mankind down to the level of pride or masochism, asserting too much and then suffering from self-hatred as a consequence. And if you remember at the beginning of the book, he describes himself as a masochist. And so I think this part is really important because he's essentially saying that, um, like, the purpose of, of life is self-discovery and being self-aware and that in the modern time masochism prevents people from doing that but he doesn't recognize that like he has this problem like he's talking about a problem that he has without the self-awareness that he has the problem you know what i'm trying to say mm -hmm. so it's so like prescribing so prescribing society with like an ailment that he doesn't see in himself like activated yeah activated in himself. Right. okay so i think that it's like this letter framed the whole novel is like herzog's journey of self-discovery i will say it's been a while since i've read of a character that like i've been like kind of disgusted by every now and then i feel <laughs> bad for every now and then and then it's like oh i just want this guy to like do well he's a very complicated character and like yeah. I mean, how can you not be if it's all just on him trying to reflect on who he is? I enjoy his character development, but I don't find it quote-unquote compelling. I do. I disagree. <laughs> I think it's very interesting. Yeah. So uh, I just want to point out, because, um, you know, I talked about his name being Moses last time. Um, mm -hmm. So he has this kind of... he. He, he says this is a problem with society um, and the purpose uh, is self-discovery like that's the way uh, to figure things out and then the next a couple paragraphs later it says um, uh, he's kind of sitting looking out the window and it says hearing the sounds of slum clearance in the next block and watching the white dust of plaster in the serene air of metamorphic New York, he communicates with the mighty of this world, or speaks words of understanding and prophecy, having arranged at the same time a comfortable and entertaining evening. Um, so I think it's important that this character named Moses um, sees, kind of just tells us that like self-discovery is the path to enlightenment, and then it talks about him communicating with the mighty of the world and speaking words of prophecy. Hmm. So, real quick, in, before we go on to Eric's question, I'm sorry. Uh, Josh, your last, in last discussion, you had mentioned that the Red Sea used to be the Reed Sea. Did I say that? Is that right? I don't think I said that. Yeah. Maybe someone else did. I don't know. No, I but think anyway. you did, because <clears throat> I think you, where did I hear this? I swear, I thought you said uh, the Red Sea used to be the Reed Sea, and it was actually very shallow. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I don't... Pass. Delete that. I, I, <laughs> Wait, I where are you something. going with it? Well, all right, so I now I remember. I read this thing, uh, like this little article on Facebook that talked about how uh, all the plagues and stuff, and like Moses parting the sea, and all this stuff going on back then actually stemmed from 
the eruption of a volcano nearby. And it went through each of the plagues and what react, what resulted from it. And then like Moses was going to the Red Sea, um, which was actually the Reed Sea because it was full of reeds. And uh, when the volcano erupted, it sucked all the water out and it was a tsunami. So they were able to pass without problem. But then as the guards came, the sea came back and overtook them. Um, and I don't know why, Josh, I thought you said that it was, I, I don't know why I thought you said that, but then I became hyper in tune with like that kind of reading. And he's like playing the clarinet or something like that, and, or the oboe, and he has to uh, like soak his reeds. Um, and I just thought that was interesting. And the word reed comes up several times, not just in terms of the oboe, but also in terms of the plant. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to tell Josh about this. He told us about this. Um, but he's literally, I, I was trying to craft a, a statement. Um, he's literally soaking the reeds with the sea of his saliva. And when do we see that become dry uh, and lead his people to salvation? It's still a great reading, and it, I think uh, had you not brought that up, I th don't think that we would have really pushed for that kind of interpretation. So um, I do think that it has given us a heightened sense of awareness of, of the words being used for which characters and stuff like that. Eric, your question? I just wanted to say I like the idea of resurrection, because I think that's what's going to play out in section three like in section three i think moses needs to find his purpose and i think in the direction he takes we'll see uh what and I, what the big message is well i i think the the big message is he is trying to come to terms with how to be a man in what 19 50 or wherever, whatever this takes place. Like, what does it mean to be a man in 1950? I think it's 64. Yeah, okay, in 1964. I think that's what he's trying to figure out. And that's what the message is ultimately going to be. Well, do you think he's going to change the way that he interacts with any of his ex-wives or his children? I think that he is going to find redemption for his past failed marriages in his relationship with Ramona. And it's going to change how he views women and love and his own manhood. That's what I would, that's my prediction, I guess, for the next section. That's very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> Because my, my prediction is like the exact opposite. Like, I think he's going to fuck shit up with Ramona <laughs> and like just be miserable and confused and still just bitter and perhaps even more bitter, still just like writing letters and not developing and not growing. I think he is just like treading water and will eventually drown. So. And I think that's why we uh, are introduced to the character Hoberly, because I think it's supposed to, like, enhance our unease of, like, oh, is Herzog going to become Hoberly? 
and that's like that's why yeah. it's often they're often like compared um because i think that's his future if he fails to look inwardly i th- i think bill that um the relationship is like built up a lot to be very important um and so i guess i just i don't know i think it's like he talks about it in a way that he doesn't talk about any of his other relationships and that's why i think it's gonna be like the one you know i so like that scene with them at dinner um i i don't know it just seems so like not contrived just it's like same old same old like when was just predicted everything like oh she's gonna put on like cheery Egyptian music and probably mix some shrimp remoulade and rice. And then they go, oh, and sure enough, Egyptian music and remoulade and rice. And then they, like Moses is like, let me tell you about my divorce. And let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I think it started off like that, like, a, like the same old, same old. But I think when Ramona's getting ready for sex sexy time um mm-hmm. he he has that moment of like self-reflection you know mm-hmm. where he's thinking like maybe i should marry ramona and maybe marriage isn't so bad and and i think that's why it's gonna work out because he's starting i think to look more inward than he has when he thinks about his relationship with daisy or with um madeline see but still a lot of his hang-ups is like can I imagine Ramona going to the parade with Junie? Can I imagine Ramona doing this? Yeah. I mean, I, d- I definitely think he's very much still like a, tr- a troubled soul with conflicting thoughts about it. He, he does have those doubts. He does have those worries. But I think that's a result of his previous two marriages ending poorly than what he's experiencing with Ramona. Like, I don't think it's any part of fault of her own, but more uh, Herzog's own hang-ups. Well, I think I think they're both people who because Ramona didn't doesn't isn't she also divorced? I thought I think so. So I think oh. I think they're both people with a troubled marital past, and that's why there's that focus on this being their resurrection because they're gonna overcome their divorces. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so you and I are opposite sides of the coin. <laughs> So then, Bill, when Herzog was getting ready for his date with Ramona, and he's singing, and he's dancing in his hotel room, you didn't find that, I don't know, a little bit charming, a little bit cute, a little bit um, suggestive? Um, no, I think that that's very charming and very cute, but, like, Moses is a womanizer, like, you know, he loves to get it in, so of course he's going to be singing <laughs> and dancing. Here, here. Uh, <laughs> one thing I will say, if I can talk about like that very specific part, um, you know, I have my like complaints or grievances with the book and losing interest in it, but just stylistically, like the writing is so good and so solid, and God, incredible. Um, like during this portion of him getting ready, they describe Moses, and I don't. I have the physical book, so I'm going to butcher the quote. But they're talking how, like, Moses is the kind of person where if his jacket is buttoned, his shoes are untied, or if his shoe is untied, his, like, tie is on perfectly. Yeah. And they say that he can't, like, get it all together. 
And then if you fast forward and he's at Ramona's, uh, she says, oh, do you want to take your shoes off? And he says, yeah, I might as well. They're already untied. And I thought that that was just like <laughs> such a great callback to the description of him in yeah. the preparation scene. I was like, man, that is so subtle and... I don't know, fucking brilliant. I just, I loved it. I also like, um, because you talk about him being a womanizer, I like this quote. He says, Constitutional tension of whatever origin needed sexual relief. relief. Whatever the man's age, history, condition, knowledge, culture, development, he had an erection. (laughs) (laughs) We have about five minutes left. So, um, does somebody who hasn't asked a question yet, uh, or does somebody have a question written down that they want to ask? I would say do it now. What do you guys think is going to happen? Josh? Um, well, like, uh, I kind of mentioned it. I think that, you know, he's going to finish his journey of self-discovery um, through his relationship, through his successful relationship with Ramona. Um, and he's going to no longer view sex as the cure to all his ailments and he's going to stop viewing marriage as a prison and he's going to discover self-worth and and all and the true meaning of love and all these things in his relationship with Ramona. man what a recovery (laughs) i think that's going to happen but i think only through a confrontation with madeline i think he and madeline are going to go face to face and they're going to um, not because because that's left up in the air, right? Like, are they going to go to court? Are they is he going to argue for custody? Uh, none of that's been decided. So I think he's going to talk to Madeline and hopefully overcome uh, the guilt and resentment that he currently harbors towards her. Uh, so he's going to fuck around with Ramona, but not settle down with her and go be angry and bitter and alone somewhere else. I don't think this book is going to end on a high note. I don't think he is going to discover himself. I think he is just going to be as empty and confused as he has been throughout the entire book. You think it's going to end and he's going to be kind of in the same spot as when it started? Correct. But then why write this book? That's the question. I kind of agree with Bill. I think he's going to have kind of some uh, self-realization, but uh, too little, too late, and he's going to sabotage what he has with Ramona. Uh, and I would also agree. I think that he will come to amends with... Is it, uh, can I ask a question to Bill about his prediction? Yeah. Um, then be... If you, that's how you see the novel ending, then I guess I would interpret it as like the author trying to warn people away from certain thought patterns or certain vices, which, what do you think's getting in Herzog's way of being happy? Um, his own, Herzog. yeah, his own insecurity, his own arrogance, his own like sense of entitlement. He's not a good person. <laughs> no. And I think that is, like, the point of it is, uh, like, hey, you think you're so much better than all these people, and yet 
you're the one that's pissed off writing letters to dead people. Uh, Interesting. So then, what are we doing as far as picking the next one? Wait, wait, wait. Let Austin, let's hear Austin's version. Oh, Austin. Uh, okay, so I think that he is... I don't know if he's going to come come to amends with Madeline or if he's going to find some kind of resolution with his own kids. Um, but I think that he's going to have this, this moment of clarity and things are going to seem really good and start looking up and then I really think he is going to trash it and revert right back to his normal self. Um, which I think, Eric, you kind of asked the question, like, what's the point then? Um, if it happens, I think part of the point could be that, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Uh, and if you're this depressed and this frustrated with life uh, in general all the time, but also feel like you deserve more, uh, it just catches up to you. No matter no matter what lessons you learn or how how you adapt to different situations, like you will always be present. Uh, no matter no matter how hard you try to get away from yourself, that makes it. I just hope that's not how Herzog ends up. I hope not, but I, I don't see him ending in a happy state, to be honest. That concludes the recording, I think. Yeah, so then, Ben, do you want to talk about your choices? or? Um, first, I would like to say I enjoyed this conversation. I wasn't like thoroughly enjoying this book, but... Talking through it has uh, helped me appreciate it a bit more. So thank you. Yeah, and I, That's what the book's for. 